it's wild. Uh, we're gonna see how this Yusaku Maezawa, the Starship Bachelor, plays out. It will definitely be interesting TV, uh, but if that's the first TV show shot in space, uh, it's gonna be a weird place we're gonna live in, I'll tell you that much. All right, and welcome to Today in Space. I'm your host, Alex Girofanos, and we're here this time to discuss, uh, well, it seems, the the balance once again, because just when we were talking about the balance of, you know, the 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 government's the governmental side of space nasa and and of a big organization trying to figure out how to cut the cost to compete with a commercial program uh like a spacex that's that's blasting forward uh, into space at light speed now we have to talk about the balance on the other side of things with the balance of the of commercial space and and now we have to talk about the most recent of things that's happened and we're going to talk about the starship bachelor so this is something that came up on my feed i completely thought that it was not real i thought it was a troll job i was waiting for the punchline but it never came it still may come i still may be well i, I still am hoping for, <laughs> for this to in the in the long term have have just been some sort of i guess mistake is the word i'm looking for but let's talk about the facts before i jump into really what my thoughts are here and let's talk about the original mission that was purchased for the Starship. They gave the funding so the Starship could be worked on like it is now, where we could go from Mark 1 to Mark 3 and develop these things. Someone had to pay for a mission first so that Starship could get secured to get to the point where it is today. That initial purchase was for the Dear Moon mission, which we've done a video on in Orbital News segment where we, we broke down the whole announcement and the idea behind Dear Moon, which is these artists that would be invited by uh, the entrepreneur Yusaku Maezawa, who put his own money down to purchase a full mission to travel around the moon to inspire artists to, to there was going to be a competition online where they would submit, and then they would go on this mission with him and experience what it's like to actually go around the moon because the original moon, you know, Earthrise image for, for the early Apollo missions before they landed on the moon, and then the actual moon landed influenced, influenced so many people on Earth and spread this amazing culture of space to the world, uh, no matter what your, what kind of person you were, what country you were, what class you were, it didn't matter, everyone was inspired by it, and so the idea was the Dear Moon mission would help bring these artists from today, have them experience this in real life, and then spread that to the world. A really great gesture, and it, it we hadn't heard a lot about it. Things had changed. The, the mission uh, has changed over time, but now, out of the blue, we saw, you know, initially it was a tweet, and I'll, I'll pull it up here, but if we go to Yusaku Maezawa's Twitter page, which is at Yusuk2020, we can see that there was a tweet January 12th, wanted, in brackets, all, all caps, exclamation points, why not be the first woman to travel to the moon, question mark, MZ looking for love. MZ is, is Yusaku Maizawa's uh, nickname, and it says, come to the moon with me, question mark, so... Is he is he looking for a date? And it turns out, if you go to his website, 
it shows this whole thing. It's definitely for real. And guys, I'm not kidding. This is for real. You go to the page and uh, I'm not sure what the, I think it's a Bima TV. They're going to do a documentary. It's Full Moon Lovers is what it's called. Uh, and it's Yusaku's, Yusaku Maezawa's serious matchmaking documentary. Now, I don't know if they put the word serious there to actually drive the point home that this is real. Or again, if this is a master con job, a master troll job. But I'll just read from, from, from it here. Yusaku Maezawa looks for a female partner to go to the moon with him. His long-held dream of going into space. He wants to visit such a special place together with a special someone. Through serious one-on-one planned matchmaking, Maezawa looks to find his life partner. So literally, The Bachelor is happening in space. Now look, as far as trying to get ratings, and I mean, The the Bachelor is one of the most popular, I mean, I hear people talk about it all the time. And look, it it rubs me the wrong way. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it now. It's his money. He can do whatever he wants with the mission. But this brings up a very, very important thing about the balance, about what could happen in our future because it's not set in stone by any means. And if, for whatever reason, NASA falls behind on the Artemis mission for 2024, commercial space is full speed ahead. The The, the need for it, I mean, just, just today, uh, this is uh, January 14th, the first chief of operations, of space operations, General John W. Raymond was sworn in today for the Space Force. So on the military side of things, things are getting signed, things are being put in place, offices are being built for the Space Force. This is happening, and whoever's able to bring us there is going to be the, the, the victor here. So this is where we start having to talk about what could happen in space. Now, the whole Yusagu Maezawa thing is still has to play out. If if we take the the what seems like theoretical possibility here that this is him actually going after this, this is his idea that they are actually going to try and do this. Uh, I, I'm still holding out hope. I mean, look. Maezawa, you know, before this, if you look at his Twitter page, before this, he ran a social experiment and gave away 10, let's see, 100 million yen giveaway on Twitter, 1 million yen to 100 winners to apparently test a, you know, universal basic income idea to see if the lives of these people actually gets better. So this was the day before this, right? He did it in 2019. He just did a billion dollars. So in it was in 2019 that he did the hundred million dollar yen giveaway. 2020 he did a giveaway for one billion yen. So they're going to be studying the effects of UBI and see if people are happier with that. So he's doing all these these tests. So I wonder is this a test to see how people react? I also question did not many artists submit their deadlines or, or did they not find the artist they wanted to bring along and you know that that's concerning that they would switch away from this uh, potentially again this is this is this happens so quickly it, it's just it sparks so much thought in my head that I want to throw it back at you guys give you guys some examples and then I hope you guys can send back other ideas that you think of because it really is something we have to think about ahead of time so let's before I get too far <laughs> into talking about this more, this seems to be real. The website is there. It's planned. There's a company that's going to be doing this documentary. We're going to see what happens. 
Uh, it doesn't ever seem to really work out for the people in <laughs> The Bachelor. I'm not a big Bachelor fan, so if, if there were people that actually worked out, I'm guessing it's a small amount. But again, I don't 100% know. I just don't think that would be the necessarily the way to do it. But hey, I'll power to MZ. I hope it works out. But what other things could happen here? Um, obviously, <laughs> I think for some people, the, the concern is, could the first woman on the moon not actually be a trained astronaut and just be some woman that's along for the ride with a billionaire? I, that's, <laughs> that is not how many of the women, I, especially that I talked to, would like that to play out especially since there's already a plan for that to happen. And if there are any delays, Starship could be done in time for this to happen. So there are a lot of things that could happen, none of which are in stone. But let's talk about some other theoreticals here. So where can commercial space become out of balance? You know, we talked, again, a lot about how things have been out of balance right now for especially the last 10, 20 years 10 years at least since the space shuttle was out of out of service and, and retired, we don't even have, as America, have an option to send astronauts to space. We don't, we don't have that option. We may very soon with commercial crew, but until then, we have no option. We are out of balance there. If, let's say the commercial program takes off and commercial space becomes a thing, companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, they take off and they start you know, capturing segments of the space economy that has yet to even develop and become the the, the Model Ts of space, you know, the Ford Model Ts, the original cars that, that take the road, the original spacecraft that take us to space, right? These are the really, really early stages of this. And so where can this go awry? Where can this go out of balance? The, the, the example I, I've been using for a long time now, because it's immediate and you can tell right now, is... If you look right up now, if you can see the moon, if you're in, in, a, in, a, in a phase of the moon where you can actually see the surface of the moon, imagine, imagine if a company was able to take out ad space on the surface of the moon so that every time you looked up and, well, the moon wouldn't even have to be in phase, they could light it up technically, you could see Coca-Cola, you could see <laughs> Tide Pods, you could see, I mean, the Fleshlight, I mean, you could see almost any ad if they... they had the money to pay for it, right? There are so many ways that this could unravel. Now, would you be okay with the moon having a full service ad on it, like a like a banner? Uh, that's that's too far for me. Uh, let's let's take another example here. Let's say commercial growth of space continues. Uh, you know, and the moon would be the next big location for commercial space eventually. Here, you would want to go to a place where living in space is the real thing. That's really where a space economy would explode. And you have these colonies on the moon. Well, what if, who makes sure that the moon doesn't just become, you know, a, a mining place? Because there are valuable things to be mined on the moon, water and other valuable resources, especially when you're on the moon. Who moderates that this doesn't go too fast and that too much mass gets taken out or not only from a safety perspective, let's just say it gets completely out of control. Again, theoretical thought experiment here. Let's say it gets completely out of control and they mine the moon past the point of no return and now it's literally affecting the tides back on Earth. These are things that, if, if not looked at ahead of time, can happen so quickly because of the need for it now that 
there's no chance. Now, luckily, there is an organization that's already out there. was made aware of it by Stoffel Aerospace uh, on online a while ago. But there, it's an organization called ForAllMoonKind.org. If you want to go visit their website, so ForAllMoonKind.org. I'm going to just read straight off their website here. But they're a 501c3 nonprofit org that seeks to protect each of the six human landing sites and similar sites in outer space as part of our common human heritage. So thinking ahead of time and saying, okay, if we just let everybody loose on the moon, they could potentially just go wherever they wanted to. They could land wherever they wanted to, which ideally would probably be the landing sites we've already scoped out, which is where the Apollo missions went to, at least for landing. Um, even though now we're looking more for the southern, uh, I'm thinking Mars now, but anywhere that you could find water is essentially where you would want to sustain long-term, but in the early stages, if we don't put up landmarks and say that these things are, are places that should not be touched and should be saved, they're going to walk all over it. So luckily, organizations like For All Moonkind is thinking ahead of this for us. So uh, I really love what they're doing. You can go check how you can help support and raise awareness. Obviously, we're telling you here, forallmoonkind.org, if you want to go check that out. It's really important to have people like that. And then in another area that is exposed right now, especially where commercial space can have a direct influence, is space law. Now, space law, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast. You can go to uh, very early episodes, the first 100 episodes. We, we had a few episodes where we talked about space law. And one of the most interesting things about space law right now is that the is law in, in the most basic sense, I'm not a lawyer, don't take my advice on this, but how I understand law is that a lot of the thing that affects law are precedents, uh, cases that were decided beforehand, then established the law down the line, right? Well, space law is so new and so untouched that the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 is basically the document that space law would be based off of right now. A lot of that is making sure that countries can't just claim the moon for their own, um, even though we, we kind of did do that. Um, we claimed it for all mankind in the name of, we planned the flag, um, but we're not not allowing other countries to go there. You, you see what I'm trying to say here? Like basically saying this is our land, no one else can have this. Uh, there are also were additionally in, in the more recent years, I believe it was 2016, but I'll have to look back on that. We did do uh, an episode on this as well, but there was some additions made in the Obama administration years uh, to account for asteroid mining. Basically, if someone went to another planet and brought back resources, you know, water, uh, titanium that was in an asteroid. The adjustment was made so that the the country that that whatever the organization is or company or whatever that that sent the mission to get there, the country that it was sent from is legally responsible for them. So whether they do bad things like they mess up the the actual place in space, maybe they contaminate it with biological material, or they 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 break up debris. Or all of the things that come back with them, valuable resources, are now technically under the protection of that country that launched it. So that's very open. That's very open for a lot of different things to happen, uh, both from a human rights perspective, from, you know, where is it okay to, to once we get to the point of space mining, I mean, there's so many sci-fi movies that are out there right now, Belters, right? I think it's from The Expanse, like where life is, is 
terrible out there? Where were the standards set beforehand? Can we think about this ahead of time before the sneak bit happens? And this is where I, I push this back to you for, for, for you space people and for our community here to, to kind of think about is when can commercial space go too far? I didn't want to go too deep into it. I want to give some examples, but let's, let's take this week to do a, our, our, our thought experiment for the week of when can commercial space go too far? When can the balance be out of whack? I think obviously seeing an ad on the moon is 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 too far for me. But how, what are other ways that this can that the, can that, that this can go out of whack? Uh, and that's what I throw to you for this week. Uh, it's wild. Uh, we're gonna see how this Yusaku Miyazawa, the Starship Bachelor, plays out. It will definitely be interesting TV. Uh, but if that's the first TV show shot in space. Uh, it's going to be a weird place we're going to live in, I'll tell you that much. But, I guess, okay, technically, I guess the Apollo missions have been shot, but it, it would be the first TV show shot in space. It's a format that works here on Earth. We'll see what happens. But looking forward, yeah, that's, that's our episode. So thank you for joining us this week. And looking later this week, our next episode, we're going to be covering the in-flight abort test, if it happens. Right now, it's slated for... Uh, January 18th, SpaceX is going to be launching their Crew Dragon for the in-flight abort test. So it's going to take off on the Falcon 9 and in the middle of the launch, when it reaches max Q, the max, max aerodynamic pressure where it experiences the greatest forces as, it, as it's exiting the atmosphere, they actually have to pull back on the throttle of the rocket, they're going to actually abort it because that would be basically the worst time to evacuate humans in the event that something goes wrong, which would happen when the forces are the greatest. So they're going to do that at that point to see what happens. And if the Dragon capsule does well, SpaceX is on a great path to get humans launched on their Dragon capsule. This is a, a huge test. This is also something that Boeing Starliner will do before they get to put humans on board. And this is one of those first steps for 2020 that will be huge for the schedule for this year if these companies are going to be able to do this and, and launch American astronauts on, from American soil on American spacecraft for the first time since the space shuttle. This is one of those major tests and major, basically, stepping stones to get to that point to, to basically certify that NASA says, yes, you've done everything you need to do to make the spacecraft safe enough so that if your rocket goes wrong or something goes wrong, we can still return the astronauts safely. We wish SpaceX the best of luck with that. We'll be watching. And that's going to be good. So that's, again, Saturday, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll be recording that here, and we'll have that out for the episode probably early next week for you. And that's it. That's it. I hope you have a great week. Uh, spread love, spread science, and we'll see you next time.